Isaiah chapter 53. Vince, is this still supposed to work or it doesn't do anything? God is in control. Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 2 verses 4 and 5. Uh, good to see the larger family of uh, Jordi and Giorgio to be with us here. I'm glad you made it safe. I don't think we'll go once more to that. <laughs> By God's grace, uh, if he allows, because, you know, I was thinking to James when he says to the rich of the, to the rich, if you say in your heart, I'm planning to go there and do business and increase my money, you don't know what your life is. It's just a vapor. If anything good that comes out of this coronavirus is that we have been shown how fickle we are, how small, insignificant, and powerless. Games were, uh, were planned to be played, football games, and we can't even have entertainment anymore. Things have to be canceled. So all that is remained for us is to spend time with God, who's forever there and available. In, in Romania, the, the meetings have been canceled now. They are not allowed to have more than 100 members in, in a meeting. So churches have maybe three, four, or five meetings, those who meet, and some of them decided not to meet at all. There were over uh, 40 or 50,000 Romanians that have worked in Italy, and for that very reason, they are more cautious for the spread because they have not self-declared them uh, they have not self-declared themselves to to the authorities when they got into the, the country anyway the city god's willing if we still be here the next weeks it will it will is called against all odds and we'll take one subject at a time today we look against all odds since power was cancelled and reads the reading is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
by his wounds we are healed. Against all odds, sin's power was cancelled. We live unprecedented times. Countries, schools, stadiums, even Mount Everest, churches have been closed. Big names have been affected. I've heard of, bless him, uh, what's, what's his name in Australia is now, um, uh, you know, Tom Hanks and his wife, they are stuck there. Coronavirus doesn't, uh, you know, bother what name you bear. The president of Brasilia, I, I've heard he's uh, positive, tested positive. And there are other dignitaries in our own government in Romania. Some of them have been affected as well. Isolation is causing panic for ourselves and our dear ones that in turn leads to hate, to despair and to the worst of all, hatred. Now, just because you see somebody of a different color of a skin, of a different look, from a different part of the world, you associate that person and you blame that person and hatred has been manifested here in this country. In Italy, already the churches are empty, as I said, in Romania, some of them with service aired on <coughs> Facebook or internet. So the normal has become abnormal. And he said everybody in their own lifetime, they get to experience either a, a war or a calamity, and we, we got to experience this one, my generation. So let's look to this from the Bible points of view and to find some similarities. What the Word of God tries to tell us. If you can help me, Jeff, because somehow maybe the battery is not working. Let me see. This time is worth. Thank you. There is a devastating spread in October of 1347. A Genoese fleet returned from the Black Sea carrying in her cargo the death sentence for Europe. By the time the ship landed in Messina, Italy, most of the sailors were dead. The few who survived wished they hadn't. Fewer racked their bodies, festering boils volcanoed on their skin. Authorities ordered the vessels out of the harbor, but it was too late. Flea-infested rats had already scampered down the ropes into the village, and the bubonic dictator had begun her ruthless march across the continent. The disease followed trade routes northward through Italy into France and the northern nations. By spring, it had breached the border of England, Within a short and brutal five years, 25 million people, one-third of Europe's population had died, and that was the beginning. Three centuries later, it still raged. As late as 1665, an epidemic left 100,000 Londoners dead, taking some 7,000 lives a week until a bitter yet merciful cold winter killed the fleas. No cure was known, no hope was offered. The healthy quarantined the infected. The infected counted their days. When you make a list of history's harshest scourges, rang the black plague near the top. It earns a high spot, but not the highest. Call the disease catastrophic, disastrous, but humanity's deadliest? No. Scripture reserves that title for a darker blight and older pandemic that by comparison makes the black plague seem like a cold sore. 
No culture avoids, no nation escapes, no person sidesteps the infection of, you name it, sin. And this is an assert from Max Lucado book. Well, you know that in the beginning God created man. God created the world and there was no disease, there was no pain, there was no tears. The creator and the creature lived in harmony, seeing each other face to face. They were communicating with each other. They were walking together and enjoying the sunshine. The work of the man's hand, planning, dreaming, laughing, taking care of the beautiful nature. This was the normal of day to day. Until disaster struck. It was by disobeying God's call to live in obedience to him. The old serpent came, the deceiver, and said, why should live a life in obedience to God? And inoculated in their minds the thought of rebellion. You don't have to listen to everything God says. And as usual, when you don't listen to God's word, when you don't listen to God's will, when you think that you know better than God, disaster struck and the earth was cursed. Thorns and thistles and weeds developed. The world became harder. Sweat, bleeding, and exhaustion became the normal way of doing things. But because the disease spread to all creation, now man will be in constant danger of wild beasts, from the anomalies of the nature and even from his own kin because Cain killed his brother Abel. A new pattern has appeared. Funeral, loss, and agony. And all this because of the very first virus of all viruses. What we call SARS, what we call Ebola, what we call coronavirus is just a reflection, tiny little reflection of the real virus. We can escape and have escaped many other viruses. But this virus of sin, no one is exception from it. Because we all have sinned and we all are separated from God. The Bible calls this disease sin. Disobedience to God is called sin. And like a virus has spread it and was not able to be contented. It, it goes struck into our own genome. Wherever you see man, you see the virus by its consequence. And that is death. Everybody who got this virus of, of sin dies. Everyone is infected and everything we touch is affected. Families, marriages, jobs, politics, sports, Churches, relationships. What does it work? Hardly we manage to move without upsets, fights, and conflicts wherever you have man. We get weaker and weaker by age, by diseases, lack of health until no strength is left in us, and then man is declared dead. We are, sadly to say, walking dead creatures because the Bible calls the wages of sin is death. The wages of disobedience of God is death. Death entered the world through sin, the Bible says. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. No one does good, no one seeks God. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. 
And it's true, God is not part of our lives. We are not compatible anymore with God. We have become weak as straws, and the Holy God that was once the company, the strength and the joy of man has become the very consuming fire of man. Sin has degraded us once, reflecting the image of God. Now, because of sin, we are bearing the image of evil. Sun, like a virus, weakens, degrades, and separates. And yet the Bible says in the beginning it was not so. There were no viruses because there was no sin. But we have been born and we know no other way. For us it's normal. Sin has become synonymous with man. We are born spiritually dead and the final outcome is physical death. We are the walking dead. We live until an accident, a disease or an old age puts an end to our living. In the beginning, Jesus said it was not so. We are all born sick, infected, and dying persons. And what we do not realize is that regardless of our conduct, we carry the disease called sin with us and within us. And you know that in some cases, the disease sin is more evident than in the others. But the thing is that we all have it. And there have been people who have carried the virus in them and it didn't show up symptoms. And they thought, I'm all right. And that this is just to show that we only call sinners only the criminals, only those who harm somebody physically against their will. And we tolerate so many other things, like cheating, like lying, like lusting. We tolerate them in our own hearts. And we thought that if we hid it well under the cloak of religiosity, piety, we are all right. No, we are not all right. We are no better than anyone else. The thing is that in some, the virus is, is devastating and is very visible, and in others it's just latent. It only hits them when they die. And it's proven that we're not any better than anybody else. The Bible says that none is better than the other. We have a heart condition. In Mark 7, 21, Jesus says, From it is within your heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. We don't, we don't, we don't see them, we don't treat them as a big problem, as a big symptom for the virus of sin. And yet they are there. All these evil sages come from inside and defile a person. We all finish in the same way and in the same place. Either we are buried in the ground or we are scattered in the thin air according with one's choice. We finish as we have lived, eternally separated from our Creator. It was not so, but we must need to meet Him again. If it was only so, but we still must meet God again and to give an account because we have been created by him and we are accountable to him. If a product is faulty, produced by a factory, where do you go to sort out where the problem is? You go and deal with the factory. If somebody eats from a takeaway and gets an illness, sick, where do you go to deal with the problem? You go to those who made the food, and it's the same. We are accountable 
before God because in the beginning God didn't create us so. A meeting between a sinner and his God results in judgment. That's why we read that the wrath of God is against sin and sin and the sins that man commits. And we can't expect a just and holy God to simply ignore and tolerate sin. It says because of all these things, he says in Colossians 3, and he says in Ephesians 5, because of all these things that we just read in Mark chapter 7, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We want that God will ignore and tolerate sin and claim, you're a God of love, have mercy on me. And carry on and live the same way we, we enjoyed. And we might feel so when infected, when the infected one is told to self-isolate or is forcefully isolated. And I put it here to see during the, the break, some rules. Make sure you wash your hands. 20 seconds, it says, hot water. Make sure you don't touch and you don't shake hands, sorry. We go to that stage of not being advised by the government not to shake hands. If you see any symptoms, isolate yourself. And all these are harsh things, you know. It breaks my heart, I see Graham here, he wanted to shake everybody's hands. And we want to do that, it's a sign of affection and there are Ruthless rules now, if you want to protect yourself for the sake of your own health, don't shake hands, we are told. For the sake of your hands, just overdo it and wash yourselves. It's like something that is so annoying all the time after you've touched everything. Self-isolate yourself. Don't enjoy the company of your family and your friends. But you know, this actually is for our own good. And ultimately, it's a sign of love. And that's our problem with God. When God gives us his word, and our, the word of God says, do not sin. Abide by my law. Say, don't pretend, don't preach a God of wrath, don't preach a God of rules, don't preach a God of law to us. And we don't understand the love of God, it's in the very word, in the very laws and rules that he's given us. Because God wanted to protect us. In the Old Testament, God has given the rules. Seven days, if somebody has a disease, should isolate himself and herself. God didn't want to be spread it out. It was to be contained. We see many rules and many warnings all over. And we can get mad at them, ignore them, or mock them as being scaremongering things. Or we can see the value and the desire to prevent something worse. God is giving... This to show us an image, to understand in our own language what sin is and what does to our own lives. If you are so scared of coronavirus and care for these bodies that anyway are going to die, what about our own souls? Today, we have been loose with sin and iniquity and have started to boast with it and to spread it. Like any disease, sin must be banished and punished and dealt with, isolated and quarantined, and a holy God will do exactly that. And the way and the place is called hell, where he isolates. It's not that God won't let anyone come in heaven, but the fact is God says, before you come in heaven, you must be purged. If we need to wash our hands, we need to be purged as well and purified, and the way he does it through a fire. And God says, if you can resist my consuming fire of holiness, because the heaven is the place of holiness. 
you are free and you're very welcome to come. But if you are sinners, we will not resist the fire. No one actually resists the fire. But I am coming to something very good. The remedy, the drastic solution that God had for us. The holy God, the holy consuming fire of God against sin has been manifested and I found the good news that God has concealed all my sins and all the humanity's sins in one place, in one cup that made the Son of God tremble with a sword of death in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that cup, God has withdrawn all our sins and said, now you have to contain it. My son, my beloved son, you have to contain it. You have to drink it. God couldn't just ignore it. All the infections of sin, all the pus of sin had to be dealt with and isolated. And Jesus said, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I know love. I don't want to know the wrath of you, Father. I know cleanness and purity. I don't want to know the misery of sin. Is there another way? And she said that God piled on Jesus all of humanity when Jesus came as the second Adam. And you know, we sing, and as the cross on Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Where do you stand today? Here in the death of Christ I stand. As Jesus was there on the cross, the fire of God's judgment and holiness was purging and dealing and burning every sin that was on Jesus. And the time came when I realized my sins was on Jesus. And I realized that I burned in Jesus. I realized that I was consumed in Jesus. I realized that I died in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Now when I go to heaven... The fire, the fire of God, judgment may burn, but it doesn't have to burn anything on me because it has already burned 2,000 years ago. Because by faith I came and I said, I believe that you died for me and the blood of Jesus has cleansed for me, has atoned for me. But if you're still living away from God, you will have what to burn the fire of God when you go to heaven. You can punt at the door. And you can demand, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And God says, yes, here is my fire. And the Bible says that we will be judged through fire. And we'll see if the work of somebody will stand. If you still lived in your sins and you haven't given them to Jesus, you will perish right there. But if you have already given your life to Jesus, and today after this message or during this message, you give your life to Jesus, the fire of God's judgment is dealt with your sins. And you know what? When you resume to ashes, nothing can burn anymore. Because all is burnt. There's nothing else to be burnt anymore. So the question is, are you still in your living in your virus? Are you still living within your sins? Do you cling on to them? Don't you see that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Don't you see that Jesus paid the price so big? Why do you go back to them over and over? Why don't you hate your sin? Why do you tolerate like it's nothing? 
And as long as I'm alive, I will preach against sin. Because the Son of God had to die, and we are called to preach Christ and Him crucified. Because we have to see that sin is deadly. And it took a drastic solution for the Son of God to deal with Him. So that's what we read in Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. See, there is a punishment. And that speaks about the wrath of God against sin. I want a wrathful God. I don't want a tolerant God. I want a God who loves me so much that he's so mad at the very things that destroy my life. Because if he was not to be mad at my sin, I will not be freed from my sin today. God has decided to tackle the virus, the virus of sin. Medications, isolation, instructions will not suffice. He gave the law to a sinful world to be kept, but this holy law didn't help it. It merely proved the full weakness of man in being like, that is not able to be like God, is not able to be holy. The connection between man and God, the, the, the disconnection between man and God was bigger than ever. The restoration of the fellowship between man and God was not working until God decided to step himself into our sin-contaminated world. In Jesus, we see the Holy God condescending to a form that will consume us, that will not consume us, that will not destroy us. Jesus had a human body so that the holiness of Jesus will not consume us. If Jesus were not to receive human body and to come as God in us and not as God-man, everything would have been destroyed around him. That's why he was born of man, yet from a virgin, without being tinted and contaminated with our sin. Otherwise, he would not have been able to be a propitiation for our sin because he would have had to pay for his own sins, contrary to what some theologians are preaching today, that Jesus had sinned. Otherwise, he could not be born again. He didn't need to be born again. We need to be born again. Otherwise, if you believe so, you, you take your leg underneath your stool and you don't have a leg to stand on before God if you admit that Jesus had sinned when he lived on this earth. He came as the second Adam, not as any Adam, as second Adam. He came into a garden. He was tempted in the wilderness, but without sin. Sin never had power in Jesus. He, we never read that Jesus was sick. We never read that Jesus was ill. We never read that Jesus was dying. We never saw the sin working in him like we are seeing sin at work in us by lust, by lying, by pride and meanness. And wherever he went, he was treated with evil, yet he loved, he cared, he lifted, he forgave, he healed, restored, and he raised the dead. And what did he do next? He willingly went according with the plan of God to the cross. He was the divine God. He could not die, but at the cross he gave up. He's always, the Bible is careful to say, he gave up. Nobody took it, the life from him. He gave up his life. Like a ransom for many. And the Bible says the life is in the blood. And our lives are dying, our sinful lives, and we are perishing creatures because we have infested blood with sin. Our lives contaminated by sin is destined to perish Yet Jesus came with blood without blemish. The Bible is careful to say his blood was without blemish or defect. It didn't have any sin. It didn't have any virus in it. 
And his death secures us life because by the shedding of his blood there was a release of life. The life is in the blood and when Jesus died, his life, that is healing life, resurrected life to a dying world was released. And the very life, it was the very life that we are missing because of our sin. His blood has the power to cover, to cancel and to remove our dying disease of sin. It's better than any 99 Disinfectant that cleans the bacteria. Death cannot and will not touch what is tainted and is covered by this blood of Jesus Christ. It could not do it in the Egypt when the lamb of the blood of the Lamb was painted on the doorstops. It could not do it once a year on Yom Kippur when the animals were slain for the day of atonement. And he cannot and will never be able to touch anyone that comes to receive his own blood shed at Calvary. There are some powerful words in this song that says, The blood that Jesus shed for me at Calvary, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. It suits my doubts and calms my fears, and it dries all my tears. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. And that's the blood of Jesus. What the world needs, it's a job that no one and no laboratory can provide. It's only the job that is provided in the laboratory of heaven, in the sanctuary where the blood of Jesus has gone before. Sin has found its match in the blood of Jesus. The dying life cannot defeat the living life. We all need a new infusion of life. Our life is sinful, dying life, and we need another life in us. We need a new job, a new life in us that will cancel the power of the disease-infected life within us. We need an incorruptible life that will cancel the effects of our corruptible life. Buddha doesn't have this. Moses doesn't have it. Mohammed and Confucius, they don't have it. Only Jesus Christ has it because he didn't come to be a teacher, but he came to be a savior and a doctor for the ill ones. He can be one because he has what no one else has. He has the divine life. He has the spirit of life. He has the divine blood flowing in his human body. He came with water and with blood. He came with blood to deal with our infection, and he came with water to deal with our restoration. And the Bible says, whoever has the Son has life. So do you have the Son? You may call yourself a sinner because you are, but the question is, are you a sinner with Jesus, or are you a sinner without Jesus? Are you a sinner who has Jesus in him, or are you a sinner that lives away from Jesus? He talks with me, and he walks with me along the narrow way. Does he do that with you every day? We don't need patches to our spiritual health. We need a new life transfusion. You don't need another church service. You don't need another preacher. You don't need another teacher. You, need another, you don't need another meeting. You don't need another doctrine. You need Jesus. Once for all, we need Jesus because the life is in him. Charlie was five years old. He was suffering from diamond black 
if I can pronounce this, diamond black fan anemia, DBA. It's a rare life-threatening blood condition. He was diagnosed with this, and it caused by failure within the bone marrow to produce vital red blood cells. And the treatment consisted of blood transfusions every two to three weeks in hospital and agonizing injections every night. His mother recalled, Charlie hated these transfusions and injections. And when he was three, he used to shout, why are you hurting me? You don't really love me. And how much we feel the same we got. It was so hard to hear your child say that, she said. What was needed was the bone marrow transplant, but nobody was compatible with that in the family. Until they had another child. And when that child, long story short, after was born, it proved he had the right cells for the marrow transplant. And it was known, and the picture, I didn't manage to put it here, forgot to put it, is that this child always was known that was the child who was born to save. A child compatible with his own brother was born to save him. And that's what we see in Jesus Christ when he took up our infirmities, when he became a child in the manger of Bethlehem. He became to be a savior compatible for us. Nobody can save except Jesus. Jesus has eternal life because we are perishing. Jesus has bl blood without blemish because we live in blemish. Jesus has the job for us. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever pleased the blood of Jesus upon them shall be saved. In the process of saving us, Jesus died. He couldn't just slash his wrist and let the blood flow like that. He needed to die on the altar, on the cross. He's not just a blood donor. He's a savior. He needs to come into your life. We just want to take, give me your blood, and I can live the way I want. Jesus says, no, you have to take me, myself, in you. Whoever has the son has the life. Our sin is serious and drastic and thus needs a drastic measure. And by dying, Jesus stepped, entered right into the heart of death itself. And because he was everlasting life, he came out again after inflicting damage. And they defeat to death itself. You know, it's like you, you want to cut sugar, a pill, to give it to your child because they don't swallow it properly. But once the pill is there and all the bitterness of the pill is there, it starts to do some reaction in it, in the body. And it heals the body. It was the same with death. Instead, Jesus was sweet on the inside. But he took upon him all the bitterness and the saltiness of our sins. And death said, oh, this tastes bad. This tastes salty. This tastes bitter. It's mine because death, that's what it does. Only takes what is bad. But he had not his own bitterness. He had my and your bitterness. He had our sickness on him and illness. And he took it. Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin for us so that we can become the righteous of God. And when death swallowed Jesus, the first day started to feel sick, death itself. The second day, even worse. The third day, couldn't get in order and vomited Jesus back. Why? Because death realized life cannot stay inside the dead body, the death belly. And Jesus came out of the dead belly, alive because 
Peter says it was impossible for death to have his hold on him. And I like that expression. It was impossible to have his hold on Jesus. And what was the desired outcome? Death lost its sting. Death lost its power. Who has the son has life. You might still die because this mortal body of you, needs, you need to depose of it. But if you have Jesus in you, you know Jesus is not located in your body. That's why your body will die and will perish. Jesus is located in your spirit. And your spirit will not perish. And your spirit will soar up to heaven where life is eternal is because life attracts life. And if you have life, the life of Jesus in you, Jesus lives in you, that will be soaring right up to where Jesus lives. Jesus will receive back what belongs rightfully to him because he has a claim on the life that is his in you, on the Holy Spirit that is in you. But if you don't have the life of Jesus living in your spirit, in your soul, you will perish. You will go down into the place of the dead, to the belly of the earth, where is the gnashing of teeth and the weeping. You don't want to be there. It was against all odds that sin will be cured at the 100% rate of its damage. It was against all odds that someone will be found able to tackle the disease. It was against all odds that God the immortal will die, but in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, it did happen. It was against all odds that any victim of death will emerge out alive of death, but Jesus did it, and together with him, he took a host of captives free, and I'm one of them. I'm one, I'm one of them, and you can be one too. You just need to see and believe, repent, and give your infected, diseased, sinful life to him and receive his glorious divine life in your own spirit. Dear Lord, thank you that in a time of bad news, we have the good news. Thank you, Lord, that in a time of panic, we have the message of joy. Thank you, Lord, that in a time of death, we have the message of life. And this is only due, and we owe it to Jesus Christ. And his name will proclaim it, and with his name will boast it, and his name will give it, wherever that we have the chance. Part us, Lord, with your blessing. And if it's in your mercy, you decide that you still want us here on earth, please grant us the strength to be witnesses for you so that others may be saved. And if not, not, please prepare our hearts to be ushered into your heaven where we long to be with you because we groan with all creation to be delivered from this world of sickness, viruses, and sin. In Jesus' name, amen.